Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Hey, everybody. Devin here. A couple weeks ago, I had a fantastic session with Mark Roberge, previous CRO at HubSpot and now managing director at Stage 2 Capital, and Anna Baird, the CRO over at Outreach. And we focused specifically on deal momentum, looking at ways to keep deals moving forward. And we broke down three specific tactics. First being how to win over your new economic buyer. The next, how to build an army of influencers in your deals, folks that will sell on your behalf when you're not around. And the last is how to get your champion to help turn the tide, or in other words, how to arm them to help sell for you. So I hope you enjoy it. Take lots of notes. There's lots of good stuff in here. Let's get into it. Anna, thanks for joining us. You're the CRO of Outreach, which is a company I've been following forever. I've been a user at multiple companies. Um, but you want to do maybe like a quick intro before we get started? Hello, everybody. Anna Baird, for those I have not met, welcome to today. I am in Silicon Valley, for those who are residents of California, been here for 25 years and uh, was a partner at KPMG, came into outreach as COO uh, with a stop at McAfee as a senior vice president. So done the big enterprise sale, um, have been in uh, sales for a long time. If you don't know, partners at KPMG have a $6 million quota a year. So we have a, a big quota to hit. So those are all enterprise deals all the time. I was the global lead partner at Google pre-IPO for seven years, Intuit and a bunch of others. Um, and at Outreach for the last two and a half. And I have been COO, CFO, and now CRO of Outreach. So <laughs> I'm working my way through the seas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mark, do you want to do a quick intro for the folks who might not know either who you are or at least what you're up to today? Yeah, sure. Um, well, Mark Roberge, uh spent the first 20 years of my career as an entrepreneur. The last startup I was part of the founding team on was HubSpot. Uh, my role was uh, head of sales and chief revenue officer um, and took them through the IPO. Uh, wrote a book about the process toward the end of that called the Sales Acceleration Formula. And then I uh, was recruited into Harvard Business School to teach uh, the first sales curriculum um, uh, in the MBA program, uh, which I did full time the last four or five years, in addition to helping a, a bunch of startups. Um, and then two years ago, um, I was approached by uh, a young investor at Bessemer uh, to co-found uh, Stage 2 Capital, which is the first VC fund run and backed by sales leaders. Uh, we're on fund two right now. We're, we're raising, we're about halfway through raising that right now. Um, but we're backed by roughly 150 um, C-level go-to-market executives from most of the world's software, public software businesses. Um, you know, so like Dropbox, uh, uh, you know, Salesforce, Microsoft, Oracle, Zoom. <laughs> um, you know, we've got representation from uh, from lots of different folks, and and uh, we've made I think 12 investments so far. Um, so that, that's what I'm up to. 
Thanks for having me. Love it. And so, yeah, as you guys can tell, we have some some heavy hitters here from from uh, you know the C-suite folks who have really led. I'm going to bring you some of the Gong data and some of the sales uh, you know practitioner aspect of today. So we have some really cool things to talk through, and. You, you, you're in the right place because we had over 2,200 people sign up for the registration uh, for this webinar, and we got about 560 people on live. So you're in the right spot. All right, we already talked about the big news, so let's just get into it. So for our agenda today, as you know, we're talking about deal momentum. And so we'll start off with why. You're a Simon Sinek fan. I am. We always start with why. Then we'll get into new buying committees and buying processes, how to win over the new economic buyer the importance of multi-threading and some of the tactical things around how you can arm your champions. And then we each of us have a tip that we'll end with in terms of how to execute uh, using visibility and speed. All right, well, let's just start with this because I think this is one. And, and th th it's why are we talking about deal momentum and then how is, I guess, deal velocity changed? But Anna, why, why is deal momentum so important? Uh, well, we know time kills all deals. So I think that is, that is our sales rule number three or something, um, but maybe number one. And it is, and as you look at the velocity today, um, we're getting held up. It's definitely slowing down. The economic pressures out there have gotten a lot more stakeholders involved than has ever been before. So we are, it is really critical that you're understanding, and we'll talk about that today. How do you make sure you get the right stakeholders involved at the right time so that you are trying to impact velocity as much as you can? Because it is definitely slowed down when every CFO needs to approve every deal. It's funny in our company all the way from our emerging segment, which is SMB, through strategic, that my team is saying the same thing, CFO involved, CFO involved, CFO involved. Yeah. So we'll talk more about that, I think, today too. Mark, what, what is your perspective on this? And maybe how is it, uh, if you agree with Anna, or maybe if you've seen some other aspects in terms of how deal velocities changed in the last couple of months? Yeah, I totally agree with, um, you know, uh, an alteration of the buyer committee to include finance more aggressively because of the, the budget tightening. Um, but I also would add to it as well. Um, so just so folks know, my context here is, you know, having, you know, worked with our portfolio of a dozen companies, probably evaluated maybe a hundred um, investment opportunities very closely over since COVID. Um, and then um, also having raising money since COVID, I've been talking with like C-level executives from public software companies and understand what's going on there as well. Um, there's probably about 150 or 200 that I've talked to. So it's that aggregation that I'm kind of drawing on these observations. I'll say that there's a consistency in the funnel shape at each stage and how I've seen it change post COVID when I ask these folks. Um, I've seen people talk about a pretty substantial increase in the very top of the funnel uh, in terms of like um, inquiries, um, uh, you know, from the website or sort of any inbound inquiries. And that intuitively makes sense because of, um, you know, I think just people are working virtually. They're consuming a lot of digital content these days. I think a lot of people are seeing content and video uh, performing better uh, than pre-COVID. Um, and um, that's an opportunity, I think, for a lot of folks. Um, I've seen the MQL conversion to be similar to the past. Um, it's a similar quality of companies, but the conversion from mql to like a sales opportunity however you define it where you're actually talking to the lead and 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 you've found there there's a true buying opportunity there that's way down um and that has made intuitive sense because there's just probably a lot of just you know people just do a general research on the top but also you know there's just a lot of budget freezes happening um and so that that's a challenge what's been the biggest surprise for me 
is the conversion from um, qualified sales opportunity to close has accelerated from what I've seen across dozens and dozens of examples. Um, and as I double click into it, um, this is especially true for even larger deals uh, where, where there's a complex buyer committee. And, and what people are saying is um, they, you know, if you had a, you had three people on the buying committee, one was in Hong Kong, one was in London, one was in San Francisco. You basically had to get the three of them in a room to get this deal over the finish line. And that took six months to schedule because of complicated travel schedules. And now that happens in like a week or two uh, because it's done over Zoom. And I still haven't really crystallized what the best practice, I still, I don't even think like the enterprise software leaders know what the best practice is to navigate that new like virtual decision-making unit discussion. Uh, but that's been interesting to me and seems to be an opportunity, um, you know, for folks to, to accelerate that. Yeah, definitely. No, that's really interesting. You said it's easier to get folks on the phone, but not necessarily getting qualified opportunities to close as quickly. So some things are accelerating and some things, it sounds like, you know, some things are getting yeah, easier. Yeah, it's, well, it's like <laughs> more inquiries, but then like they're not, it's not as easy to convert those inquiries into a qualified, you know, sales opportunity because of budget freezes. And I think there's some techniques we can talk about there. To, yeah. to make that happen but um but it's interesting that once you have a qualified opportunity the close rate is equal or even higher but certainly faster from what i've seen across the world well and i think there the one of the things i'd be interested in mark i don't know if you've seen this but the deal sizes have not obviously all gone up there's i see people closing faster smaller because they can't get the budget so i think we're back to sort of that key challenge you know topo just did a study is that 50% of buyers have a reduced budget and 70% of sales teams are anticipating a major impact to pipeline, right? And it is those two things are because of budget freezes, right? You get to Mark's point, a lot of people top of funnel because of all the digital events like this, right? Lots of people virtually able to attend things and, and get educated, but they don't have necessarily the buying power or the ability to do because of the freezes or or constraints on the budgets that are within their companies. So a lot of, of interest, but those conversions aren't as high. And I think as you look at the conversions, we actually have seen the same across some of our customers. Velocity of conversion um, at that bottom of the funnel is, is faster. Um, deal lands were smaller. They're starting to increase again though. So I think that's a good sign, at least from some of what we've seen. So we'll see how this uh, how this plays through. No, that's a great point. That's something I've seen two people say, like, you know, we'll come maybe talk about a little bit more, but when the pandemic hit, some people, you know, the, their value prop became a little less applicable, right? Like recruiting, for example. And so a lot of companies have leaned on, hey, if we can't solve the problem now, let's nurture with educational content. So later down the line, you know, when budgets loosen up a little bit or things go back to some sense of normal and they can start selling again, that they still have an engaged audience that they can interact with. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I agree with your point, Devin, and, and you, Anna, is like, it's almost like there's so many examples, you know, I've been always asked, like, how do you have to change sales? How do you have to change sales? It's almost like all the stuff that the, the best practice thought leaders and, and, and people who execute strong sales orgs have been saying, it's all the same stuff. It's just that like before you could have average results without doing it. Mm -hmm. And now you just need to do all this stuff. To Anna's point are one, People have time right now. <laughs> People have a little more time on their hands than they have in the past. And you know, if you're gonna go into a buyer saying, hey, let me show you a demo of my product, which has never been the best practice, but it's amazing how many professional salespeople do that still, that's when you're gonna hear all this stuff of like, oh, there's budget freezes, no budget, no one wants to see the product. 
But when you walk in and say, listen, you're not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. Why don't we just spend an hour and talk about like, God forbid, like your CEO comes in your office in October and says, listen, I think things are stable enough that we can, we can put the foot on the accelerator a little bit. What is your, what is she going to ask you to do? And what do you have to put in place now? Or what do you have to put in place to prepare for that? Right. And right. you're not selling them anything. You're just doing really good long-term discovery. And, and that I've seen yield, um, you know, what turned out to be a budget freeze. We have, you know, nothing to do turned into a, a true opportunity for the organization. Yeah. Love yeah, that discovery call, Mark. That's exactly right. Go talk about business challenges, not demoing just your product too. <laughs> And it's funny it's funny the things we all know are true have become even more true i feel like like even more applicable it's like you know you, you can't cut corners these days you have to do it the right way um, but the next question led us right to this which is the question was are companies shifting to more committee-based decisions now mark this was something that you know when we were doing our planning session you really touched on was more stakeholders are involved i know we kind of touched on that but i guess the real question is you know why are most more stakeholders being involved and two what can sellers and sales orgs do to you know maybe shift their buying process and get more stakeholders involved and kind of understand those roles yeah yeah good good point so yeah i mean i think this has been happening for a while you know i think like if i think about like the bridge group for example i've been doing some pretty good research here that shows there's just more people involved in the buying process i, I don't know why i understand today why because like everything's being highly criticized from a budgetary standpoint and and you know i think we've struggled as a sales profession to to navigate these decision-making units um, I think like part of it is um, the old adage of like call high. You know, it's like mm -hmm. that that was like statistically a best practice, I think, 20 years ago. And it's still great. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you can start with the CEO, you're much better than starting with the intern. But like I do find that many sales folks don't lean into like a true account-based selling model where there is a value to each level. You know, like you have here, Devin, um, and how to leverage that. You know, I see a, saw a lot of sales leaders, um, you know, or salespeople, for example, get an inbound inquiry from a low-level manager, for example, that doesn't have decision-making power and basically say this lead sucks. Right. And I think that's totally wrong. Like, I think it's totally wrong to to um, align your, your SQL definition around the role of the, the, the um, the, 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 the converted, you know, inquiry. And I think it's a lot more to do with just the quality of the company, right? I'd much rather have a frontline manager with no decision-making capability from a perfect fit company than the CEO of a not so good fit company, right? right. I don't think we, we think about that often. So that, that's first off is like, you know, when you're thinking about the, the definition of what is a true, like, you know, callable lead, Focus that on the firmographic of the company and less on the role of the person. And then the second piece is how to properly leverage the folks at the bottom of this, this pyramid, which will you call end users, that's great. I might call them coaches, right? So mm -hmm. what we wanna do there is, um, is um, understand their needs, just like we would with the CEO with the understanding that, that it doesn't matter much in terms of the purchase because they don't have a lot of purchase power. But if you can help them with their need, um, either by just telling them some educational piece right now or explain how your product helps them with that, 
then you're going to be able to leverage them as a coach to get access to the decision maker. And there's lots of different right. techniques we can talk about. Maybe we'll turn it over to Anna to talk, talk about some of those. But just like an appreciation of a proper de definition of a good lead is more around the company than the person. And appreciation of these coaches, these end, user, end users, can be extraordinarily valuable in that that sales process, even though they don't have a lot of decision authority. Yeah, absolutely. And so the other thing, I think it was, I think it was Anna, you had said this one, which is budget holders are getting heavily involved. Now you're a CRO at Outreach, which is I'm going off of guy. I want to see you guys around a thousand employees. Are you also finding yourself being involved in more like purchasing decisions as an evaluator? And then also, how are you seeing this unfold for your sales team? Well, I think a couple things. One is I was also the CFO, so <clears throat> I totally understand this. <laughs> yeah, so you've been around, you've been a part of all of it. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And I think as you really take a look at what's happening, obviously, and we talked about this a minute ago with, with budgets getting, getting frozen. Um, so at least held steady, if not decreased. And depending again, like you noted, Devin, earlier on what industry you're in and how impact that's been. But really, everybody has to make sure every dollar counts. And that's because of ROI, right? If you're going to go ask for money and you've got to arm, we'll talk about arming your champions, which is something we talked about um, prior to this as well. But it is making sure that you are giving them what is a budget holder going to care about? And they are caring about cost reduction or revenue improvement. Those are really kind of the two things that they're focused on right now. So how do you position yourself and your champion to go have that internally? I was talking to the CIO of a Fortune 50 company the other day and even how they're involved. And I said, well, I gotta go talk to the CFO. I gotta go talk to the CFO about everything we're going to purchase because we have to make every dollar count. And that's how you have to right. think about it. These are, the dollars are precious. So how do you get your allocation of those dollars? Those budget holders are gonna allocate dollars to the best business cases that they see. And I think that's where we'll talk about in a little bit. How do you get your business right. case in front of them early rather than late? Yeah, when COVID first happened back, or I shouldn't say first happened, but when it kind of, you know, when when WHO announced it as a global pandemic back in March, um, I, I did the same thing that the CIO did. I went and talked to our CFO, and I was like, hey, like, I'd love to hear from you. You know, how are you thinking about purchases? And my question was this, was like, salespeople, Tim, are going to want to know how to get a deal done. So I said, how do people get a deal done? And he said, the best way is to prove how you're going to help increase remote productivity, enhance visibility into the business, and or increase agility. You have to come prepared to show exactly what Anna said, a how a specific investment will indeed save the company hard dollars. The bar for measurable and rapid return on investment is higher than it was before. And I think kind of like what we were saying earlier, like you kind of have to go back to the basics. I think some salespeople, like when we were in a growth market, a lot of people could get away without necessarily doing this or, or being, you know, um, very concise with this message. And then just like you said, Anna, like you have to have this down pat in order to even have a shot at buying now versus, hey, why don't we revisit this in Q1 next year? You know what I mean? And see how things shake out. Well, in budget ownership, I think to your point, you just hit it, Devin, just remember your budget owner, who you sold to before used to have budget and they could approve at their own level. That that's what changed. They can't approve at their own level anymore because all purchases are scrutinized for exactly what you're noting on this screen. So know going in that that's what's going to happen. And then how do you make sure you're you're addressing that quickly? And we'll talk about that I'm in a second. Yeah, we all seen the uh, or probably familiar with you know the ten thousand dollar bar, which is like if it's under ten k I can sign, and if it's above ten k we got to get approval. You guys might be familiar with that. Um, now everything like there is no ten k bar. It's like if we're signing anything, even renewals for things, you know, CFOs are getting involved. And so let let's talk about how to do this. And so and I'm gonna have you lead with uh, prep your champion because that was something that you mentioned, and I know it's kind of I think in a couple slides we can maybe double down on it, but 
in terms of, you know, if you're a salesperson, if you're leading a sales team and you want to enable them to go get deal approval, the first thing is, is you got to prep your champion and to have that conversation. Do you have any tips around that? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's two things. And I think Mark hit this a moment ago too. So two, two perspectives to think about here. One is somebody who's buying right now. So somebody who does have the ability to buy, the reason they're going to have the ability to buy, and you need to figure this out when you, when you're walking into deals, because they're going to come in one of three categories. Budget, budget is frozen and they're waiting for it to unfreeze so they can't buy now. You know, they are, are obviously in a, a economic decline from what's happening in their business. So they're going to have no right. buying for a while or they can buy, but it's going to be scrutinized. So they have some budget because the company's doing well enough that they're getting allocations. And then there's some that of those few companies that are going crazy right now who have some budget that are a little bit more flexible, but there's very few of those. And a lot of them are going to fall into this category of, yes, I can still buy, but with a business case. And so one of the things that I have seen were, and again, this kills a deal when you're, and remember your budget owner, whoever your champion that you're talking to used to be able to buy four months ago, they could buy. And sometimes right. some of them still think they can. And the problem yeah. is they think they can, they run you through an evaluation process and they go to put that on the CFO's desk because where they have to get ultimate approval or to their, their leader who then has to go to the CFO. And they haven't put together a business case as to why, because they could buy without having that all flushed out, then they're going to get axed and you're never even going to get the audience because the person's like, no, this doesn't even make sense. I, you didn't put a business case together. Then you've also left a bad taste in the mouth of that CFO or executives exactly. and trying to come back at time two is not what you want to do. So what you're, you as a team need to do is say, what is the ROI for that business? To the point you made a moment ago, Devin, are we making them more efficient? So we're cutting costs somehow. Are we getting them, um, obviously, accelerated revenue? What is it that that CFO, those hard dollars that they're going to care about and arm your champion with those talking points and give it to them early so they get in front of their leader as well as the CFO and say, depending on who you're talking to, to say, hey, I want to tee you up. We're having this discussion. We're going through this evaluation. Here's why we're looking at it. So that you're already getting that in the queue of that of that a final approver and everybody in between to say, hey, what this is why we're looking at this. We think this is a, a big opportunity for our business. And what Mark said a minute ago, having some of those discussions at the in the in the pyramid around those individual contributors also helps you get aligned around what is the company talking about at all hands? Ask them that question. They're all in those all hands. What are they saying their key priorities are? What are they trying to achieve? And getting some of that data from others at the company to help arm you with putting together that business case so you can put their language into it. Hey, we know you're trying to achieve these two things. Here's how we help. And then right. here's the difference that we make. You are then talking their language to their own leaders about where you're influencing their key objectives. And I think that that is super critical today and easier to do than ever because everybody's having all hands like every 30 days. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, I've never had more all hands in my life. I think we have one every two weeks now. Uh, even so, yeah, <laughs> definitely true. But I love that takeaway. That's such it's such an easy ask. Like, what do you guys talk about in all hands? What is yes. your CEO mentioning week over week, month over month? And like that is like the centerfold. That's your north star of a business case today. And then along those lines, some of those questions too are like, you know, what is uh, and this is what our team does. Our sales team preps their champion. So if you can't, if the sales rep can't be in that CFO meeting is preparing the champion to expect no, right? So it's like, okay, if you get hit with no, what are you gonna say? How are you gonna combat to that? Cause you really only get one shot to sell the CFO and really preparing them for that conversation. So when they go meet with the CFO, you have the, the highest chance of, of getting that yes. Yeah, I would I would echo like everything there I think is best practice. I'll, I'll kind of add two things related to it, which is one, 
the extreme need to have pivoted messaging in this new environment. You know, I think everyone, a lot of the, you know, companies that have built up their go-to-market in the last five years did it around a growth-oriented message because many companies were, were trying to fuel growth. And, right. you know, to, to the point here, you know, Anna's highlighted that they're, they're much more in a cost saving. So, so we, if you're using the same sales playbook as January, like you're way under-optimized. Um, so it just kind of starts with, with the way you're kind of leading in there and, and enabling your salespeople. Uh, I love the, you know, coach your decision maker. You know, I think there's a little bit of like acting in there. Like I hate to be like, cause again, I think the profession is just too, but sometimes you just gotta, if, if we really have a buyer here that will benefit greatly from our service, we got to do everything we can to get this deal. And, you know, it, first off, like, um, when you're running a good account-based selling strategy, you're probably out, you know, reaching out to dozen plus contacts at all levels, and you're probably more likely to get contact lower down because they have more time. You know, if you do get a connect there, sometimes it's advantageous to basically explain to them that you've been communicating with a, a variety of people there, um, and will continue to do so. You know, and like maybe say you've been communicating with their CFO, maybe say you've been communicating with their CEO. And I think what that does, it's a it's a slight like vagueness on words, but like if I if I got in touch with a lower level coach, I want and I find out that like here's the following things that are happening in the business strategically, and I've been sending emails to the CEO or the CMO or whatever, I want to update them and say, hey, listen, I spoke, I had a great chat with Devin for 45 minutes, and he told me about how you know, you're trying to do more with less with your staff right now. And the biggest concern is on the marketing front because you're trying to find ways to maintain, but some of these channels are degrading. And I mean, it's just a very, it's almost like this person works at my business and just sent me like uh, advice, you know? And mm -hmm. oh, by the way, I've got a follow-up call with Devin on later this week. Here's the, here's the Zoom or go to meeting link if you want to join. I mean, that can backfire, but that can also be extremely powerful. And so that's why it, it, it creates, it requires like really f precise finesse on how to, mm -hmm. how to make progress in the lower end and gather information, but, but keep access at the higher end, even though access is just one-way emails that are probably being read, to be honest with you. Um, so that's yeah. one. And then number two, to, to your all point of like, most of the time we're like, this is great. Thank you, Devin. I'm so glad that we connected and I'm so glad that you agree that we're going to be a huge time saver to you um, as an end user. Now, I think usually the next step is we get time with your CFO. Usually they're like, no, thanks. I can't bring you into my CFO. Like she's super right. busy right now. And they give you the Heisman, right? And and to your point, like, well, okay, fine. Um, why don't you tell me how you're going to pitch it to her? And, right. you know, 99% of the time, they're pitching a story that helps them, not the CFO. And exactly. again, a little bit of acting, like, you know, Devin, do you really want this time savings? Because <laughs> what you just did is going like to fall so flat. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> man. It's like, do you really want this? Come on, man. I do this all day. You yeah. know, like your CFO is going to laugh at that. Like she doesn't care if you go to work, home work from work early. Yeah. You know, here's what the CFO is going to think. And like, I'm going to try to use that to like raise her attention. Like, listen, you really need me to be in that meeting. And right. and the very least, it's like let's build a deck together. You can just walk them through, and let me coach yeah. you how to walk them through. Which is what you were saying. So I think you know those are so important. A time where getting to that, getting to power, is that much more difficult. 
But there's a quick question from Andrew who said, what do you think the percentages of success versus backfire for that uh, that play you just mentioned? Um, depends on the salesperson, how good they are at executing it. If you're going to execute this yeah. like a very passive, it's going to fail a lot. I've seen some reps do it every time successfully. Uh, have you tried it, Anna? Have your team, has your team tried it? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I think it is. It is how strong is your champion and how comfortable you, you get. The, the thing that I think where it backfires is where the champion's being super overprotective and doesn't want you to talk to anybody else at the company. And that's when it backfires because they get upset because you went around them. So what you've got to do is either start establishing at the top early so you already have the connection when the champion really gets engaged. Oh, yeah, we've talked to the CFO or yes, we've, you know, I, we know the your CRO or C, you know, head of HR, whatever the, the relationship is to say, yeah, I promised I might keep them quickly updated. So you're already incorporating that in early. If you're doing it later, I think it's just making sure that that champion is, hey, we have a connection. They're going to make reach out just for some alignment. We're doing that across some teams. So just make sure you don't, you know, take out your knees out from under you in the middle of this. Last thing you want to do is is piss off the champion in the middle of your sales cycle, but <laughs> making sure exactly. that you are getting their um, support, but knowing that you have these relationships externally that you're keeping informed. The earlier you have those, the easier that is. Definitely. I, I, strength of champion is right. Tone, I think, is big and like your confidence level and how you frame it as exactly. a seller is really big. I think what we're talking about is kind of like how to get wide. That's where we're like kind of naturally going right now. And so let's talk about the importance of multi-threading. Now, if you're maybe not familiar with the phrase multi-threading, it's just the concept of, you know, building relationships with multiple stakeholders. It's the opposite of single threading, uh, you know, having one point of contact. Um, and we have some actually some gong data we can show. So we ran a report, uh, this wasn't in the last four months, so I'll, I'll preface it was a few months prior to COVID, but what we did is we wanted to analyze the importance of multi-threading and just try to get some signals, right? Of some confirmation in terms of how important this really is. And so if you're new to, to, to gong labs, it's our research team, uh, a bunch of data scientists and researchers, some really smart folks on our team out in Israel, what we do is we publish uh, about monthly reports and we analyze our customer, uh, our user data. So the different interactions that salespeople have from emails, calls, web conferencing meetings. And we look for different buyer and seller behaviors and trends to understand what works, what doesn't, and then ultimately guide salespeople to you know, have better conversations and close more deals. And so what I wanted to do is test this and see, hey, can we run some analysis and see how important multi-threading really is. And so here's what we found. We analyzed around, I think it was like 30,000 sales opportunities for this report. And we found two things. One confirmed that more uh, points of contact is better for the deal. And then two saw that there was an interesting spike. It actually happens quite early in the deal. So I'm curious uh, in a second, Anna and Mark to hear from you guys, but just to describe this a little bit more is what you're looking at is, you know, the first call, second call, third call through a sales process. And then you have your winning, you know, your your one deals and your lost deals. Now, no shock on the first uh, the first column there. You start with one point of contact, right? We all we all get our cold email or cold outbound in or or warm if you're lucky, um, and get that first person on. Now there has to be some sense of a fit, right? Or else you're not going to continue on. But what's interesting is close one opportunities spike, and you see you know th up to three people involved on that meeting versus closed loss opportunities, if you can see it all the way through the opaque lines, it actually barely cracks two people. So barely gets to two points of contact. And so it's really interesting to see like, hey, this isn't just something that you should definitely do, especially now as you guys are, you, know, you guys are saying, make sure you get more stakeholders involved because there are more people looking at this deal. 
but also it shows that you know to be a successful seller today you need to be proactive and you need to mobilize that first point of contact to get additional people in as soon as possible it's really cool stuff i mean um it's it's very i think it's very intuitive right like um you know if if people are bringing more people in later it probably means it's it's a priority and needs executive mm-hmm. decision like in, in the second call um obviously you're going to get a lot more you know traction um when you get more people and i, I think the fact that you're statistically seeing this um is very cool um because i'm always looking for like <clears throat> like if we think about like forecasting and we think about like sales playbook design i'm always looking for like proven direction on how i what i should be shooting for and this just says to me like if i were running a reasonably sized sales org i'd take a peek at what this data looks like for my org in particular and if i right. saw that um you know that the same variance existed in the second call then I would be fork. I would let this dictate my forecast, um, you know, mm-hmm. situation if I'm getting multiple folks. And then I'd I'd take a hard look at what are the reps doing in those deals that get three plus in on the second meeting versus maintain at one, and and bake that into my enablement. Um, so I think I think it's very cool, and in, in terms of the implication that it could have on on our own sort of the operations that we're running. Um, I also think like um we have to be careful in how we navigate this like you know multiple people meeting um because i do find that folks jump right into a premature show up and throw up and, and product pitch because uh, yeah. really hard or which doesn't happen as often but is almost it, it doesn't go well either is try to continue discovering qualification in that room where now mm-hmm. that's so hard i mean it's so hard to begin with to get like a buyer to open up on what's going on, never mind the fact that they're sitting in front of three peers and all the politics that are happening and right. all that stuff. Like, to, it's just it's just very challenging. So, two two like tactics to, you know, definitely keep shooting for this. Get more people in the room. Like, who else? You know, that is a classic. Like, who else needs to be involved? Like, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But like, make sure that you've done adequate discovery up front. If you haven't, and this happens most of the time, most of the time, like I, I reflect on a first meeting, I, I successfully book the next meeting that has six people in it, and I still have discovery to do. So right. I just reach out to my champion that put the meeting together and be like, listen, you know, Devin, I got, I just, I'm so excited for next Tuesday. Thank you so much for getting your CFO, CMO. I'm, I've been doing a lot of preparation. I had like 15 minutes of final questions just to make sure that I'm fully prepared. Would you mind jumping on a one-on-one call for us on Monday to go yeah. through those? champions always of course they're going to jump on that call right like they mm-hmm. they 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 have just as much on the line as you do um so so that's an important like stepping stone there the other thing that i often see is even after adequate discovery is done the first slide how many times we see the first slides in this meeting is like so let me tell you about our company we were founded in 2015 we have this many employees and we have here's There's our customer logos. list and this is what we do and let me show you a screenshot of our product it's like god damn that's so boring like i want to walk out at that point the first slide has to be so you know sarah thank you so much for making you know sat you know the whole team thank you so much for um joining i've been spending t- some time with devin the last week and here's what i found out is you have this issue with this thing and you're trying to do this with this percent increase and here's what you're trying to do do i have all that correct and i'm kind of directing that to the most powerful person in the room and I'm kind of hoping they disagree. I'm kind of hoping like, no, it's not quite right. 
all right, great. What what is it then? And now well, what I want to correct like, you, and then you find out exactly. Anyway. Now I find out what's yeah. in their head, because because yeah. what was on the page was what the understanding of our champion or coach was, and now I need to understand what it, my economic buyer, whoever is, what's in their head. I hope they disagree, and I, I'm okay doing discovery with the most powerful person in the room because they're less apt to like stay close to their chest. It's not perfect. I'd rather have it one on one, but I'm probably not going to get that sure. chance. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about deal predictability and like using it for forecasting. Because, and, and I agree, everyone's, you know, everyone listening to this, you know, different different audience are selling to a different sales process. So I'm sure this will vary a little bit company to company. But I was talking to uh, Lou Wolf over at Zoom Info, because uh, yeah. I use on our podcast talking just about this. And he said that he won't forecast anything that isn't multi threaded. He said there's only, like, he has statistics. He's like, I have a dashboard. And if I see an opportunity that doesn't have multiple people involved and it's in my forecast, I take it out. Like yeah, wonderful. I mean, it's a it's a great example of something that is just overlooked in forecasting. Is most forecasts are done by reps saying, "I commit this deal," you know what I mean? Or I did I did a I gave a demo, so they're at stage three, and and the the big trick that Lou's po pointed out, and you're showing a great example here, is forecast uh, accuracy goes through the roof if you're able to base the forecast on buyer behavior, not selling behavior. So like yeah. a seller cannot force four people to come to the meeting and right. and that says a lot so if if a buyer has four people to show up that that's a much better predictability of when that deal is going to come in than if a rep gave someone a demo yeah we run our commit call at outreach out of outreach coincidentally but there's a screen that shows you are you multi-threaded what's the interaction there's a histogram that shows the interaction when was the last time they were touched in one screen you can then say because you're absolutely right what both of you said Multi-threading is a much higher predictability of closing, especially today. So if you yeah. are in a commit and you have something that isn't multi-threaded, there's only two people, that's that's where the managers need to go in. That's where the coaching comes in. That's where the deal inspection comes in. It's like, you can't have this deal in commit or in best case when you've only talked to one or two people. Who are we missing? Right. We talk a lot about mutual you know, based action close plans, right? How are you agreeing with your champion up front? Who has to be engaged? And it isn't about always having everybody in the same room because that's not multi-threading. It is, did we get a relationship with them that right. is giving you an opportunity to talk to them and that they are buying into the buying process you're doing with their company, right? They are saying, mm -hmm. yes, you know, align security with security, aligning, you know, our solution consultants with their team, depending on your buying process and workflow. And it is aligning those, we call it multi-threaded multi-people, multi-people on our side are multi-threaded on their side. And, mm -hmm. and I'm going to get David Rubenstein, who's my VP of East, credit for that, but we call it MTMP. That is, it's a hashtag MTMP. Are you multi-threaded with multiple people on our side connecting to them, not just right. you connecting to five people on their side? That's not the same. Absolutely. There's people asking tactics and tips for getting multi-threaded. We have one for you coming up right after this slide, but I'd love to get your guys' opinion uh, in terms of, uh, you know, if you think it's a good one or, or call me out if you, if you hate it. But um as I was, you know, creating the playbook I just mentioned and, and some we used as we were moving up market at Gong was a lot of times sellers accidentally get single threaded or they don't really do it on purpose, which is, you know, you break in, you know, you, you give Anna a, a great prospecting email. She's your CRO. She's your decision maker. And she says, hey, you know, uh, why don't you go work with enablement? Uh, market enablement's my, you know, he handles all these type of things. And so then they go and they work with Mark and they forget to go back to Anna yeah. or the decision maker, right? And so they go like, they go here and then they go here and then they just follow that. And so what we were trying to do is keep people in the loop 
Um, and so here's what I created is this email template. Now it's bold because there's a bunch of things you have to change if you want to, you know, if you're listening to this, you want to take a screen cap or something. But what the, the key differentiator for this follow-up email is we learned I have to go work with Mark. We, we thought we needed to stay at the C-level or any other than sales. We realized as we moved up market, ops and enablement were very important. They have a seat at the table. And so I wanted to keep that line with the decision maker open, but kind of like what you said, Mark, with these updates, right? So here's, here's what I created and this worked really well is the subject line is gong update or your company update, no action required. That's really important. So what you do is you're just confirming, hey, I did, uh, hey, and I did what you did, decision maker, I did what you say to do. I wouldn't work with that person and I wanna send you a quick update. Now to your point, Mark, I'm not talking about Mary's value prop here. I'm talking about how, what Mary liked and how it impacts the C-level I'm talking to, right? So we you know, immediately impact BDR performance, can accelerate onboarding, boost revenue, et cetera. And then here's our next step. We're meeting Friday. We're gonna expand the audience. We're multi-threading, we're getting more people. I'll be sure to keep you in the loop as we progress things again. Now you notice there's no CTA here because I said no action required. What's really interesting is I still got a lot of responses. <laughs> a lot of people who probably previously, you know, if I asked them for time again, would have ignored me, but we'd say, you know, thanks for the update, I appreciate it. And so what we would do is you'd use this email template as you're working with other folks on the team, and then you would change it to gong update next steps and then you have your CTA, which is, hey, here's what we've done at a high level. And now it's, you know, now, and it's time for you to, to jump in because it's your turn. And so this is something that we've used to multi-thread and stay multi-threaded. But I'm curious, Anna and Mark, if you, uh, what do you think of this play and how, how do you respond if I send it to you? <laughs> Mark, you want to start? Sure, I love it. You know, I'm, I love, I hadn't thought about the no action required, uh, but I love it. Um, I... Uh, you know, it's kind of like we were talking about before, but you've already earned the right because they passed you down. So you, you, I agree with you. Like, if you're not doing this, this is such a lost opportunity. And you're probably right that a lot of people don't circle back up. And there's no way that Mary can get pissed that you went over them because, you know, whoever this was passed you down. So I think it's brilliant. Right. I think the only tweaks I might test is yes. number one, the the bolded content in the middle paragraph even though it comes right out of Mary's, you know, mouth potentially, as well as is your um, assumption based on lots of work with with Mary's boss, people like her, um, uh, is still relatively generic. And I might I might put in where I can very specific statistics about this company. You know, like so. In short, what we understood is, you know, Mary told me that you've got 27 BDRs and currently the average appointments per uh, month has uh, been, uh, you know, 12 uh, has increased by 20%, but, but but falls short from the 15 target that's been the goal and the quota. You know what I mean? That just sounds like yeah. wow. This person, like, yeah. they're almost like a consultant to me. You know, in that that I think that's leaps and bounds above the the. This is a little more generic in the middle. Um, so yeah. I think that's important. And I think in the third paragraph, I love you know you changed my mind on the call to action. I agree with you. No action required, but I might say feel free to respond if I have anything inaccurate or if I'm missing something. It's not, mm -hmm. it's it's just an optional call to action. So I, I still no, don't think good. you violate your subject. But I, again, I kind of want her to respond here because the chances that um, Mary has nailed the overarching need of the business is low. And I, right. I want to, I want to create the opportunity for the the true decision maker to to chime in. I think that's super important, Mark. I was going to say the same. How do you tie this back to what that decision maker cares about? 
So, and I think we've been, here's some data on what we heard from, you know, we understood that the, the company really wants to influence these metrics. Here's how we think we can do that. Um, let me know if there's something else that you feel like you'd want to see us focus on or anything else that is um, important to you. So again, you're getting that validation of the business challenge and what they care about, right? They're going, well, hey, that's interesting, but what about this? Or what about this other team? Can you give me some, in you're going to get, and then you get an introduction to another team. You get an introduction to somebody else potentially as well. So I think using it to say, are there others that you'd like, other teams you'd like us to talk to to help validate some of the same information or get you more details? It gives you yet another avenue to also multi-thread further across the organization and potentially cross cells. You're giving them some stats about results and then moving. We use this all the time. So it is, it is absolutely a huge piece of our playbook. We'll often have our leaders sending these messages as well versus just the person who is running quarterbacking the deal. So that again, you get multi-threaded, again, multi-threaded to multi-people. So I send this to the CRO in our case, right? Quite a bit. We'll use me as the connection point. Go, hey, just want to update you on what's happened with the team. Teams are meeting, looks great. Here's the things that we're seeing. I know you have other things you care about. Let's reach out and chat. Here's my, you know, so we're giving them an opportunity to connect if you want. And then I think also I love the, how are we connecting back to the business challenges they said that they were trying to solve, making sure we're making this relevant to their specific business. Yeah, agree. I love it. Thank you for the feedback. That's phenomenal. I mean, that's like a full playbook. I hope you, I mean, we're recording this, but if not, I hope you're taking notes, folks, because that's exactly how it's done. Well, that's all the time we have, folks. Thank you, Mark and Anna, for your guys' time and expertise today. I know I learned a lot and I hope that the viewers did as well. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.